right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. You doing all right? It's a lot warmer on the inside than it is on the outside, right? So thank the Lord for heaters. All right, so I want to start off today with a question. Here it is. Uh, do you believe in heaven? You know, if you uh, just ask the average guy on the street, uh, you'd probably get three out of four would give you the same answer. And why, the reason why I say that is because the research, uh, Pew Research Foundation did a massive study of religion in America a couple of years ago, and they asked Americans all, uh, all backgrounds, all, uh, all, all nationalities, all religious expressions, uh, the question, do you believe in heaven? And what they discovered is this, 72% of Americans say that they believe in heaven, 72%. So if you were to uh, take a poll just about anywhere in your office, whatever, probably three out of four people roughly would say they believe in heaven. All right, so then if you ask the second question, so how do you get to heaven, then all of a sudden you get a lot of different responses, a lot of different answers, a lot of different perspectives on how someone gets to heaven. However, kind of sifting through all the different responses, there was one that seemed to come up to the top, one that uh, most people seem to agree with, even though they had different religious backgrounds or maybe no religious background, and that was this. 52%, over half the people polled, said that you get to heaven by doing good works or by being good, all right? That's how you get to heaven, you just by being good or doing good things, living a good life. And now when I was looking at those stats, I thought, you know, well, I'm sure that they're getting this from, they're polling people on the East Coast and the West Coast, right? They're not, they're not talking about people right here in the Bible Belt that understand their Bibles and that kind of thing. So we sent a video crew to South Lake to ask people how they get to heaven. This is what we saw. Watch this. I'm here with First Colleyville at South Lake Town Square, and we're asking people the question, how do you get to heaven? So the question is, how do you think you get into heaven? No clue. Uh, I have no idea. By being a good person, I guess. By just doing everything, you know, that's from, from your heart. Everything, if you follow your heart and you do the best you can, then, you know, God going to accept you in. I think just the belief in Jesus himself and following his, just his way, the faith of Christ and all, I think that's just your ticket to heaven. I, I don't really think there is one. I think that if we have spirits, they just kind of stay here. And if we don't, then, then we're just kind of gone. But that's just me. I think that you get into heaven just by having faith in God. Add? I would just say being a good person. Treat people the way you want to be treated. I'd say, well, obviously being a good person in general. Everybody sins, so as long as you keep a good relationship with God, I think you'd be alright. We be nice with everything around us. Humans, animals, even the chair we are sitting on. We should be nice in the way we use it. By being a good person to your family, your friends, and those that you don't know. I think by just being a good person and putting out good energy into the world, I think you'll end up in a good place. When we asked people, how do you get to heaven? The majority of people said just that. You know, you just be a good person, live a good life, try to do your best, treat people well. That's how you get to heaven and God will accept you. 
You know, we are in a series called Bad Advice, and I want to give you a little piece of bad advice. Uh, just try to be a good person, and that'll get you into heaven. That's actually bad advice. And, and, and how would you respond to that? I mean, I, you know, when I, when I hear this statement that you have to be good and that good people go to heaven, which is kind of the regular mantra now that we hear over and over. By the way, I've even heard Christians say that. I'll say, well, what about old so-and-so? Where do they stand with God? Well, I'm not sure, but I know he's a good guy. I'm sure he's all right. She's a good person. I even hear Christians in, the, in our churches say these same things. You know, when I hear the phrase, good people go to heaven, or you got to be good to get to heaven, it raises more questions for me, not, not, not answers. I get more questions. For example, when I hear that, I want to say, well, what exactly is good? <laughs> you know, how do you define good? If good people go to heaven, I want to be sure that I am good. So how do I know what good is? And I say, oh, Craig, well, you know what good is. You know, you, you don't steal, you don't kill, you don't, you don't uh, cuss, you don't date people like that. You know, the whole thing. Uh, you, you just do be a good person. Well, yeah, I know that's how we feel good is. That's how we define it because our culture has been uh, has been influenced by a Judeo-Christian ethic, but what about other cultures where for them to do something good is to strap a suicide vest and take out people? That gives them a straight ticket to heaven. So how do you determine universally what is good? And then if you could determine what is all good, then another question comes to my mind, well, how good do you have to be? You know, if you can say, well, this is the standard of goodness, well, then how good do I have to be? I mean, is God very flexible and I can just be 20% good? And uh, he will say, well, you, know, you gave it your best, come on in. Or is he very strict and I have to be 90% good to get to heaven? I mean, obviously nobody's perfect, right? So 90% would be pretty, pretty good. And, and how do I know once I pass the goodness bar, the goodness level? I mean, it'd be a real bummer if I died and, and stood before God and he said, you know, you were just two good works short of getting into heaven. If you hadn't helped that lady across the street and you'd been, you hadn't lied to that person, man, you could have been in, but I'm sorry, man, you missed it by that much, you know? That would be a bummer. So how good do I have to be? And then there's a, another question, just why are there so many views about how you get to heaven? I mean, you talk to someone from uh, the Muslim perspective, and they say you have to hold to the five pillars of Islam. And if you're a wife uh, of a Muslim man, then he must invite you into heaven. Or if you're a Buddhist, you have to follow the Eightfold Path. If you're a Jewish, you have to follow the law or the Torah. If you are... Um, if you're a Hindu, then, well, there's no, no a quite agreement on if there is a heaven or not. So how do you, who is right? Surely God would make this clear for us. In fact, it's interesting when you look at all the different views, all the religious, world religious views, all the world religious leaders, they basically are saying the same thing. The way you get to heaven is by doing certain benevolent good acts. Well, the ones we define, if you do those good things, if you do good, you get to heaven. They're really reinforcing this whole belief that doing good gets to heaven. There's only one religious leader that said good people don't go to heaven, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that said good people don't go to heaven. By the way, it was that view of Jesus that got him killed. He said good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. And that's the difference. Not good people, but forgiven people. 
And I want to show you a story in the Bible that really illustrates this and unpacks this for us today. So get your Bibles out. If you didn't bring one, there's one at the seat next to you. Open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, 36. Jesus is in the, really the height of his popularity. Uh, this is a couple of years into his ministry. And uh, there's a lot of people following him. And he has this encounter with some people that illustrate the fact that good people don't go to heaven that forgiven people go to heaven. Luke chapter 7, beginning verse 36. This is the word of God. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom the canceled the larger debt, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to her, Simon, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, this story is really all wrapped around an invitation of Jesus to a dinner party. Uh, a Pharisee uh, invited Jesus to his house uh, for dinner. Now, Pharisees were uh, the religious leaders at the time. You know, many times when you're reading uh, the scripture or you hear preachers talk, Pharisees get a bad rap, you know, as a lot of the bad guys. But actually, Pharisees really start off as good guys. They, they were... They began in a time in history when Israel was very wayward. Their people weren't reading their Bible. They were not following the Torah. They weren't obeying God. And there was a group of men that said, well, you know, we got to get back to the scriptures. We got to get back to obeying God and doing what God wants. And, and they began to lead this effort to get back to obeying God, which is a good thing. But as they emerged into power over time, they began to set and add a lot of other regulations and other rules and restrictions beyond what the Bible taught. 
And, and they rose to power and they began to enforce these rules and regulations on everybody else. These guys, the Pharisees, were the ultimate do-gooders, all right? They were professional do-gooders. That's all they did their whole life was think about how they can do good and how can they obey the law and obey the Torah and so on. And so they were, they were the standard setters for the people of that day. A fair, you could not even think to try to be more spiritual or good or religious than a Pharisee. That was a top of the line. All right. And, and so this Pharisee invites Jesus to come to his house for a dinner party. Now, why would he invite Jesus to a dinner party? Well, there are a lot of reasons why, you know, obviously Jesus was very popular. Having a popular traveling prophet like Jesus would be awesome to have at your house. Uh, some Pharisees invited Jesus so they could watch him and try to trick him. Uh, but they, he invited Jesus to his home for a dinner party. And uh, as they are there, Jesus walks in and it just simply says that he attends and he reclines at the table. Now there's a problem right there. You, you may not see it right away, but there's a problem. The problem is this, whenever someone comes into a person's house in that time, there would be a natural way to greet that person in their home. We have the same thing, right? When, when we have people over at our house, first we uh, uh, mop and sweep and do the vacuum and clean everything up, right? And then, uh, then when they're ready to come, we kind of light the candles, get everything ready to go in. And then when you come in, we'll greet you at the door. We'd shake your hand or hug your neck. We would take your purse or your coat and we'd put it over the side. We'd say, would you like some of the drink? Please come on in. I mean, that's just how you greet someone, right? Well, back then, they had a certain way of greeting people. When, you, when a guest would come in, they would uh, welcome them and they would kiss them on the cheek. That was a sign of, of greeting and warm welcome. Still, in, in other cultures, they do the kind of double cheek kiss thing uh, back then. That was very, very popular. And then, not only that, they would refresh you with oil on your head or on your hands or maybe on your garments. And then they would have a servant quickly come and remove your sandals and they would wash your feet and knock off all the dust and grime of the day. And then you would come in and recline at the table. Well, Simon the Pharisee didn't do any of that for Jesus. None of it. He just walked in and took his place at the table. Now, while he is reclining at the table, it says there was a woman that came in and, and she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. It says that she had a, a, a jar, an alabaster jar of fine perfume. This was very expensive, by the way. This jar was probably a family heirloom passed down from generation to generation, and they were using it to anoint the dead. So the family would always anoint the dead body and prepare for, to prepare for burial. And so this thing would be used very uh, scrupulously on, on every person. They would pass it down from generation. It was a very valuable thing, maybe the, the most valuable thing that she had. And so she brought it with her, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, every time I've read this story, I would think, how did this woman crash this party? All right? I mean, I'm just trying to picture this in my mind. It would not happen in your house. All right? If, if you had uh, folks over to your house, you would go, who's a stranger under the table? All right? That, that just probably wouldn't happen. All right? So how did she get in here? How did that work? Well, you need to understand how, how homes were built back then. The way a home was built was there was a center courtyard with a, with a gate out front. And then the rooms were built are on the side. And so all the, the parties and the gatherings happen in the open courtyard. 
It was an open-air courtyard. Now, just think about it. He's going to have this party and the dinner out in the courtyard. All these people are following Jesus. The paparazzi are following him. Everybody's pressing in. They know Jesus is there. All the, you know, all the uh, mucky mucks are there. They're all sitting at the table. Other people are invited. Other people are pressing in to watch. It was, it was a sight to see. And this woman found a way to kind of sneak in through the crowd, probably unnoticed, to go past the gate and just to get close enough to touch Jesus' feet. She just wanted to be close enough to touch his feet. And she washed his feet with her tears and with her hair. Now, listen, you, you cannot see more more of a contrast than this, right? There, this is the great contrast. Here is the religious man, the professional do-gooder, that surely if, if getting to heaven means doing good, he would be in. And then you have this woman over here on the opposite end of the scale that is the professional no-gooder, all right? She is the one that has broken every rule, broken every law. She, she certainly is not going to be forgiven. So here's the great contrast, and the question is, who is going to be forgiven? Who is the one that will get to heaven? Who is Jesus going to move toward? That's what is happening in this story. And so let's pick back up to the story. So uh, they're sitting there eating. By the way, have you ever wondered how is it that this woman is standing at the feet of Jesus? Uh, how does that work exactly? Well, you've got to understand that uh, they didn't sit at tables like we do in a chair, sit upright, and that's how you've you would eat your meal. I know that the picture of the Last Supper has everybody sitting in nice chairs. Uh, all, all you guys on this side of the table for the picture, right? Uh, but that, that's very European. It's not Mediterranean. The way that they would do it is they would come in and they would lounge on elevated couches. And, and these elevated couches, they would lean over on one shoulder and they would eat with the other and their heads would be kind of closer together. The table would be right here and they would lean over and they would lounge and eat. So picture that. And then here she is coming in through the crowd, just getting close enough to Jesus' feet where she begins to weep and wipe his feet. This, while this is going on, the Pharisee is thinking something in his head while he's talking, right? You ever do that? You ever talking, but you're thinking something in your head at the same time? So the Pharisee is thinking in his head, you know, this Jesus, he's not legit. He was not a prophet because if he was truly a prophet, he would know the kind of woman this is and he would send her on his way. And so Jesus sensing what's going on in his mind, he said, hey, uh, Simon, I want to say something to you. He said, say it, Lord. He said, uh, there, there's a story of two people that borrow money from a money lender. One borrows 500 denaro. That's about two years worth of wages. Okay, a lot of money. Your income times two, pretty good amount of money. But the other one borrowed 50, about two months worth. And neither one of them could pay it. So the money lender canceled all their debts, forgave all their debts. He said, Simon, which one do you think loved the money lender the most? Well, Simon thought about it for many. He said, well, I don't know. I suppose the one who was forgiven the most debt. He said, you were right. He said, Simon, you see this woman? Really what he was saying is, Simon, you see this woman, right? Of course he did. I mean, that's all he's been thinking about is what is she doing here? How did she get in here? Why is she doing that? Why is he not saying, I mean, this, he's fixed on this thing. Other people are now noticing what's happening. Simon, you see this woman, right? He said, you know, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. 
but she has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, when I came into your home, you did not anoint me with oil, and yet she has taken the most precious, most valuable ointment, and she has poured it on my feet. Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't even give me the common courtesy to remove my sandals and wash my feet. But this woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears. Simon, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Basically, what Jesus was saying is this, Simon, both of you are sinners. Both of you. Now, she's a better sinner than you are. Right? She's a 500-point sinner. You're a 50-point sinner. I mean, she's sinned a lot. Her sins are very public. Everybody knows her sin. Everybody, with her, their glances and their condemnation, heaps shame on her. Yeah, she's a sinner, but so are you. Your sins are more private. Your sins of pride, God sees. But you're both sinners. You both have a debt that you cannot pay. And you both need forgiveness. That's the point that Jesus is making. You know, when I read this story, there are there's some things that jump out at me that are, I think are really important for us to get a hold of, especially when we think about this idea of good people go to heaven. Here, here's what I want you to understand. First thing is this, that forgiveness starts when we admit our need for God. Forgiveness starts when we admit our need for God. When, you know, most of the time what we do is when we think about our sin, we quickly compare us to other people, right? Uh, I know, I know I'm, I'm messed up here, but what about them? You know, I, we do that as kids, right? Did you do such a, yeah, but what about it? So-and-so, they did it more than me. And then we were quick to point. I mean, it's innate within us. We always compare ourselves against a person that's much worse than we are and say, somehow we're okay because they're worse than we are. That's exactly what Simon was doing. Well, this terrible woman, she needs to be cast out. And he had no sense of awareness of his own failures. He did not come to grasp the fact that he had sinned just like she had, that both needed forgiveness. Listen, the Bible makes this very, very clear that all of us have a sin problem. All of us. The Bible says in, uh, in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I mean, that everyone means everyone. That means you and that means me. You may come in and say, well, yeah, those church people, they got their act together. It's, it's me that doesn't have my act together. No, we're all messed up. We all have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that means God stands here and we have all fallen short of it. Now, some may have fallen shorter than others. But we have all fallen short. We all have sin in our life. And so the first step toward finding forgiveness and getting to heaven is not to hold on to my goodness, but is actually to cling to my badness, to admit my failures, to admit my sin, to admit how, how bad and I don't deserve uh, forgiveness. That's the first step. John Owen, the uh, a Puritan writer said this, he who has a slight view of sin has never had a great view of God. And that's exactly what this woman was doing. When she came, the reason why she was broken, the reason why she was weeping, the reason why she was at his feet is because she realized how far that she'd fallen, how undeserving she was, and how much she needed God's grace and forgiveness. The Pharisee did not, but she did. Let me ask you something. Have you come to a point where you realize that you need forgiveness? That you need 
to be right with God because of things that you have done that have offended him. Forgiveness begins with admitting our need. The second thing that we find in this story that just really jumped out at me is the fact that forgiveness is not based on doing good. You know, it's interesting that Jesus did not say to the woman, uh, I see you're broken over your sin. Here are 10 things you need to do to get right with me. Or here, here go, go to the temple, go, go do this, or go to serve in the synagogue, or be better. Or he doesn't give her any instructions to do anything at all. You think if Jesus was going to believe that good people get to heaven, he would tell her to be good. But he doesn't instruct her to do anything, anything. He sees her repentance. He sees her brokenness. She's coming to him, hoping that he will forgive her, and he doesn't give her any instruction. Listen, if, it was, if goodness was going to get you to heaven, then he would have praised Simon the Pharisee. Simon, you've got it right. Simon, you've, done the, you've lived the, the good life. You certainly are entering into heaven, not this woman. But Jesus flips the tables completely. He did not give her any instruction. In fact, did you know that Jesus said that there are going to be good people that will not go to heaven? I mean, the audacity. Jesus said there are going to be some people that do good, that even are religious, that will miss heaven completely. In Matthew chapter 7, he said these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know how you handle those verses, but they should shake you. Listen, you do not get to heaven by being good or by trying harder. Even good people will miss heaven, even religious people. These folks say, man, we're casting out demons, we're praising, we're preaching, we're doing all these things, and yet they were missing. Why? Because getting to heaven has nothing to do with your good works. It has everything to do with Jesus. How do you respond to Christ? And it's possible to do, do good works to even go to church, to even believe in God and cognitively check all the boxes of theology and yet miss heaven because you never came to Jesus Christ with your sin. There will be many people that have attended churches that will not be in heaven because they never came to own their own sin, their need for it, and come to Jesus for forgiveness. They tried to earn it They tried to remind themselves that they were okay. They tried to say that they don't don't need to do that. Listen, you cannot get to heaven by being good. That's a resounding message that Jesus said. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people. And then this one last thought here that just jumped out at me, and, and that is that forgiveness is not, uh, forgiveness changes everything. I love it how the story ends. He looks at this woman after kind of chastising Simon for his self-righteousness. He turns to this woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. Can you just imagine what that must have felt like to her to hear those words? You are forgiven. You are clean You are right with God. It's okay. I forgive you. But the minute those words come out of his mouth, there are people around him that said, who is this man that forgives sins? Who is this guy that said he can forgive sins? And he turns to her and he says, woman, your faith has saved you. Your trust in me alone is what has brought you this forgiveness.
She came as a repentant sinner. And she left a changed woman. You see, forgiveness changes everything. Forgiveness changes everything. The, the Pharisee, he was trying to be good, but he didn't leave change. Only the person that was broken, only the person that acknowledged their sin, only the person that realized they couldn't do enough good works, only the person that trusted Christ, that's the one that's changed. And I see this year after year, I see it Sunday after Sunday, there are some people that come in and they just have this self-justification going on. You know, I'm, I'm okay, I, I believe in God, I'm trying to be a good person, I'm doing the best I can, surely I'm gonna make it to heaven. But there's always somebody in the, in the auditorium, there's always somebody in the room that realizes they are not good. And they cannot get there on their own goodness. And they know they desperately need a Savior. And what you need to hear today, and what the people under the sound of my voice need to hear today is this. Only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus took our sin on himself on the cross. Only Jesus bore it. Only Jesus died for your sin. Only Jesus was buried. Only Jesus raised from, uh, raised from the dead. Only Jesus can do it. And God is not looking for you to embrace your goodness. He's looking for you to embrace your sinfulness and confess it and turn from it and to place your trust and faith in Christ. That's the gospel. And that changes everything. Rebecca grew up in Keller, just right down the road. And she grew up in a, a, going to church. Her mom and dad attended church. She was a little kid. She remembers going to church as a little girl. Um, family had a tragedy. Her older brother died tragically when she was five years old and the family never really talked about it. So she grew up kind of learning the fact that we, we just don't talk about things that hurt us in our family. We just keep going. Fast forward to when she was 14 years old, she was going to the youth group, kind of running with the rough crowd on the side. She snuck out of a youth lock-in started running with this crowd that night, and she was raped. She came back to the lock-in and didn't tell anyone what had happened. She was broken. She was wounded. She was, felt shame and embarrassed. But she told no one because we don't talk about these things. But she began to kind of self-medicate. She would uh, start to drink and, and to uh, take the pain away. Then that led to gateway drugs. And then that way led to more drugs and more conflict at home. Finally, at the age of 15, she decided she didn't want her parents. She didn't want that way of life. She was going to hit the streets. And so she found herself on Harry Hines in Dallas, walking the streets. And a man came up and said he would protect her and he would watch over her. And what he ended up doing was prostituting her all throughout the Dallas area. Here she was, 16 year, 15, 16 years old. She said she would get a one meal a day, a Coke and a candy bar, and she'd work all day and all night. Another man came in, and he began to traffic her across state lines. For 10 years, she lived that life. People would say, you know, how, why didn't you just leave? Or why didn't, why? She said, you don't understand. I, I, I feared for my life. I, I didn't have a job. I was a high school dropout. I had no hope. I, I was threatened that if I did anything, they would kill my family. I, I felt like there was no escape. She said, I had multiple times uh, thoughts of suicide because I just didn't see any possible way out. At one point, she became pregnant. The man that was kind of controlling her was sent to prison, 
and she had a window of opportunity to run. She said, I packed up my car with all my belongings in Las Vegas, and I drove 20-something hours all the way home to Keller. My parents let me come home. And uh, she said the next Sunday, they said, we're going to church. She hadn't been to church in so long. I mean, it was like a distant memory to her. And there was a sense of excitement or expectation that maybe God would do something for her. She came to church. The pastor preached the simple gospel message that Christ can forgive you and wipe you clean. And in that seat, she asked Christ to come into her life. Say, Lord, if you can change me, if you can clean me, that's what I want. A couple of weeks later, she was invited by a group of women to a ministry of First Colleyville called a Valiant Hearts that welcomes women that are coming out of the sex industry and, and to love them and care for them. And she, she said, when I walked into that room, I felt love and acceptance and care and nurture from women that didn't care where I'd been, only cared where I was going. And said these women loved her and began to disciple her and grow her up in her faith. She graduated from that program uh, in, in 2013, and then she went back to school. She went back to college, graduated summa cum laude in criminal justice, went on to get a master's degree in criminal justice, and God began to use her, and now today she travels all across the United States coaching up law enforcement officers on training them on what to look for for girls that are being trafficked and how to intervene in that life. Uh, she talks about Jesus everywhere she goes. And she tells them that only Jesus could change me. See, that's the power of forgiveness. That God can forgive anybody when we turn to him. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. So here's the big question. Are you forgiven? Have you had this turning point? I'm not, I didn't ask you if you believe in God. I didn't ask if you go to church. I didn't ask about your parents or grandparents. I'm asking you, has there been a moment in time when you've said, you know what? I have acknowledged my sin. I have been broken over my sin. I asked Christ to come into my life and my life has changed as a result. If not, then that is what God's calling you to do. Now is your opportunity to come to, come to Christ.